Hello, hello. This is Berkay from D2Civil. D2Civil is a story-driven community where we talk about direct-to-consumer brands, technologies, and everything in the D2C world. And today, in this new episode of D2Civil, we are together with Jennifer Faber, founder of Raw Kombucha. Raw offers kombucha teas that has great benefits for human health with different flavor options. So Jennifer, it's a great pleasure to have you here today. Uh, how are you doing? You're right? Yes, I am. Thanks for having me here. Thank you. Uh, so Jennifer, where are you dialing from? Right from Hamburg, most beautiful city in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> Many people say so, but uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Jennifer, uh, can you tell about yourself, about your story, about your a personal career before founding Raw Kombucha and what brought you here to Raw Kombucha? Yeah, sure. So personal background, um, I would say I'm an absolute foodie. I love good food, all about food, all about food and innovation, all about fermentation, also non-alcoholic beverage innovation. Um, that's what I do professionally, but also my personal background. Um, yeah, gut health is very important for me. It's very important for me because I got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease when I was 23 years old. Um, so that's when probiotics came into the game because I really had to figure out a way how to improve my gut health. And as a result, um, yeah, kombucha was one of the solutions I I found and um, yeah, so that's a little bit about me. I have a strong marketing background. I studied brand mm. management. So theoretically, I was prepared for building an FMCG brand. FMCG means a fast moving consumer good. But we, uh, we all know there is, um, yeah, between theory and practice is a huge difference. So um, <laughs> had to learn it the hard way, I would say. So prior and to this one. Sorry, sorry what? to interrupt. So prior to this one, prior to Raw, you didn't really have a practical experience in e-commerce, in building a Not product. in e-commerce, no, not, not in e-commerce. In marketing, mm. yes, but not e-commerce. I mean, yes, I did internships, but I wouldn't say that that I made so many experience that from then I knew how e-commerce works. So um, also I lived two years in New York as an assistant. Um, I think that shaped my opinion slash mindset about founding, founding a company helped um, mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah. So that's great. So uh, you had this disease in your early twenties and you found a great product for yourself and you built a company around your product and the product mm -hmm. that helped you, you know, greatly in, in tackling with that disease. So it's great. And for our listeners, can you tell a bit about more kombucha? So raw sure. kombucha, how did you find it? What was the motivation behind it? I know you already mentioned disease and everything, but yeah. Um, so kombucha, first of all, is a fermented tea. And in order to produce kombucha, you need uh, very simple ingredients, sugar, tea, com the kombucha culture. Um, you also say SCOBY and SCOBY stands for symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. So the ingredients are very simple, but the process is microbiologically very complex. Uh, I mean, the whole fermentation process where the sugar is metabolized into CO2 and ethanol. Um, but this is where the magic happens, the whole 
uh, fermentation process and the acidics is uh, produced. So at the end, you have a sweet, sour taste, but it's really hard to describe when you don't know what kombucha is and you never tried it before. You really just have to try it and then you know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, I see. Because like, to be perfectly honest, until last week, I didn't know anything about kombucha. What? <laughs> yeah. And I saw and I saw one of your social media accounts that you deal with people like me a lot, people who have no prayer experience, like drinking an actual kombucha tea. Uh, so I guess it is. it should be a challenge, right? Dealing with people like me, like trying to educate the market. Yeah. But did, did you try it now after you heard about me? Oh, uh, no, no. Because I found it anywhere. I couldn't find it anywhere in Turkey. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe in the future. Maybe in the, Maybe future. In the future. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so is, is this a challenge to sort of like try to educate your consum consumers, your target market? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, not, not only the production process is very challenging and innovation in Germany with such a complex product and is a uh, very challenging. Yes. Mm, I see. So you but that's why that... that's why e-commerce has a lot of potential because through e-commerce, you can explain what the product is all about. And uh, retail is different with retail. You can't explain anything. It's like a black box. You put the displays mm -hmm. into the retail and you hope people buy it. You, I mean, we, we focused on, on the packaging to make it look healthier. Um, but e-commerce is definitely the way to explain better. Yeah. Mm. Can you talk a bit about that? You know, how come like e-commerce is better than explaining the retail than the retail? I mean, uh, kombucha is a premium price product, you know, mm -hmm. it's, uh, usually with uh, for just tasty beverage Germany, you pay like well, one euro 50. In that mm -hmm. case, one bottle is two euro 99. So in mm -hmm. order to sell a product like this, you know, um, storytelling is it's all about story storytelling with our product because there's the EU health claim um, mm, rules. Yes. I don't know if you heard about them, but uh, because of these rules, I can't really say I don't I can't really put health claims um, in the butter or on the butter on the packaging because it's just forbidden. So it's all about storytelling. It's all about telling people what kombucha is and why probiotics are good for you, but then not putting probiotics on the butter because we're not allowed to. Well, that's that makes it really hard. Mm, yeah, I see. I was going to actually ask you about the rules and regulations in the food and beverages industry in the Europe in general, but this is a good start. So you needed to educate your market. You know, you needed yeah. to get people know more about the health benefits of kombucha without really advertising it on the packaging, but and without mm -hmm. really saying like very like, you know, over exaggerating it on the Internet because of the rules and uh, rules and regulations. So I wonder, yeah, so basically. Uh, basically mm. making the impossible possible selling a premium yeah. product without explaining that it's healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. So how did you make your first sale? No. Um, how was I making my first sale? Um, you know, before I start talking about my sale and uh, building a brand, there's one very big step I had to uh, do earlier. Uh, so we built our own brewery and our own manufacturing. A small manufacturing, but yeah, that was the step we had to make because nobody in Germany knew how to produce kombucha. So we had to make it by ourselves. Mm. And so, so when after, we did that, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was brave because it's you know engineering techniques, um, and I'm I do have a very strong marketing background. So now learning how to brew and you know getting to know all these things uh, that was really hard for me. Um, but yeah, when we did that, it took us a year to develop everything. We start selling um, kombucha in the restaurants and in the cafes, and that went very well. Always sold out. Um, and then Corona came. <laughs> that was not easy. So like from one day to the next day, no customers at the restaurants anymore, no cafes. Um, and then, okay, retail, let's do, let's do retail. <laughs> so retail is, uh, is also hard, you know, because innovation, uh, the, the higher the innovation degree, the less likely is that a product will survive uh, or how do you say you sell products in, in German retail because yeah it's just hard innovation and retail is hard and then also the premium price you know so then we went to retail but we've, we yeah, we found a way to make it happen and we created very nice displays for retail and then through these things and I guess also through our packaging because it's a very special bottle like a pharmacy bottle. Um, I think that's why we became successful in retail. Mm, um, so do, yeah, during the COVID, you needed to switch COVID. your target market. During yeah. the COVID, you needed to switch your sales strategy. Everything you built the brand on, it just disappeared with the, with the, with the, you know, with the COVID pandemic. So it should be difficult, right? Did you like? Did you get any desperate during that process? Did you thought this was going to affect your whole entire business? Maybe sh- you need it, you will need to shut it down. Well, I really believe I still believe in the product and the benefits of it. So um, I'm still very motivated. Uh, I'm still very into everything I do, and I love my job. But yeah, I mean things were getting hard uh, because you know being a female entrepreneur in Germany, um, wanting to get you know, money funding for your company is a, is a thing, but then also scaling up a very complex product, um, working in retail, it's not easy. So yeah, we I was going through a lot, um, but I think at the end that made me stronger. I guess going through going through stuff is always a good thing as an entrepreneur. You have to do it. You have to go through stuff in order to. I don't know, grow as a person, especially as an entrepreneur. But it was a lot of uh, challenges at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I can only imagine. It should be like for, for the food and beverage startups, it should be a nightmare, you know, the COVID, because as you were saying, restaurants were all empty, people yeah. were at home, you know, that, and they were like uh, trying to put more emphasis on health products. But it was uh, for from another perspective, a child uh, like, Aside being a challenge, it was also sort of like an opportunity for you, right? As I was saying, people were putting more emphasis on the health yeah. and on the organic products. That's so it, true. I guess, made your way easier from, yeah. you know, switching from, yeah, Definitely. switching to retail, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, there was also a moment when kombucha became a little bit bigger in Germany, I believe, because people were just more aware of immune system, of gut health, because suddenly they had to think about it because everybody was scared. And nobody knew what, what what's Corona and am I gonna die? Maybe I'm gonna start drinking kombucha. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So, 
that's that's definitely understandable. It was a both it was both a challenge and an opportunity for you at the same time. So let's do a bit of time travel today in 2023. Like how has your brand evolved since you first started? You know, we, we already mentioned you started from selling to restaurants and cafes to retail. But how has your mentality changed during that time? My mentality, I would say since I was unexperienced in the beginning, I mean, uh, I founded the company when I was 26 years old. So I was unexperienced with the food industry, uh, founding a company because it's my first company. So yeah, being scared was um, being yeah was part of my daily I don't know part of me because I wasn't sure if my decisions were right or wrong. So going through all these challenges, um, learning from all these mistakes, I would say, um, yeah, helped me to grow as a person, my character. Yeah. Uh, but also helped the company because I think as a young founder or in general as a founder. Um, the only way your company is growing in a healthy, organic way is when you also grow in a healthy, organic way, um, taking care about your mental health, you know, um, eating good food, being um, surrounded good people with good energy. That's all part of it, I guess. Yeah, I see. Uh, so let's talk a bit more about your business and kombucha, raw kombucha. So how many people do you have on your team now? Well, I changed the strategy, uh, the strategy um, extremely. Last, last year, I had 15 people working in the production, uh, mostly in the production. And um, this year, last year, I sold the whole manufactory and went through um, to a contract filler who helped me okay. now to uh, produce the kombucha. So I don't have the production team anymore. And I basically outsource most of it, the online marketing, um, the only thing that I have in-house is sales for retail. Um, mm -hmm. I have somebody who helps me with uh, um, the operations and accounting, but the rest is just freelancer. I focus on freelancer now because I want to be flexible. That's something I learned uh, last year or in the last two, three years. I want mm -hmm. to be flexible. So working with freelancers is good. I have very good agencies. And yeah, the only thing I do in-house is sales and accounting and a little bit of help with operations. Mm. Uh, like this is interesting because many successful direct-to-consumer entrepreneurs say, just as you are saying now, they focus on the important stuff like sales, marketing, the things that will bring revenue more immediately. And they are outsourcing the rest of the process. Like in that, in your case, you have a production process that you have to take care of, but you're still outsourcing that as well, even though it is one of the most important functions in your business. So uh, like, what are the exact benefits of outsourcing stuff uh, compared to like doing it yourself? And like, do you find it, do you find it more, you know, efficient than it was before? How does the process look like from your perspective? I have to say I loved being the owner of a manufacturing company because I love handmade and I love everything about kombucha and just being there and seeing how the product gets produced make me really happy. Also because we uh, not only I will not only um, build a brand, a kombucha brand, but also um, a corporation with a company called Alster Arbeit. So we hired a lot of people with handicap. Uh, mentally and physically handicapped and we gave these people um, jobs in our 
our in our company in our brewery so yeah that also made me very happy but one thing i've learned is that i couldn't focus i couldn't focus working um i don't know putting 70 or 80 percent of my capacity into production and the handicapped people even though i really loved it um i had to make a decision to be more focused because if you have a small team and you have a small company, you don't have so much resources and capital, you need to focus. Mm -hmm. And so that was my hard learning. But I, I think that's the only way to go if you really focus on one thing. Yeah, and that's building the brand. That's building a brand and not only your brand. It's like creating a whole new category in Germany. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, I see. Uh, so again, because of the rules and regulations, I guess you really, you know, you need to really understand what that's, you know, outsource production company focus on, you know, if that has like sustainability criteria, if that have, you know, ethical production criteria. So what was the process like founding a founding the most like perfect producers for yourself based on rules and regulations? It's the quality. There is different stages of quality if you produce food. And the highest um, quality um, label called um, IFS. And mm -hmm. so I couldn't get that kind of certificate for my small manufacturing. Uh, but if you want to scale up food or beverage, um, you need these certificates. So that was mm -hmm. one of the reasons I needed uh, if I wanted to have that kind of certificate. Uh, I don't know, millions of euros. <clears throat> Um, need to invest and in, so I didn't have the money and not the capital and yeah you know um, like I said usually startups um, food startups um, have to create brands when they found a company and uh, make the sales happen and the marketing but uh, kombucha is a whole production thing so we really you really have to make sure to have a good quality first and um, we were just too small at some point. We had to get bigger. And so we, I'd ha I had to make the decision to give up the manufacturing and work with a contract filler because only then I can focus on building the brand. Only then I can focus on yeah, building the category. Right way. Uh, okay, so let's talk about marketing. What was your marketing aha moment? Yeah, it was a sad moment when I um, discovered that most people who see our brand, um, they didn't think of, of, I mean, yes, that the packaging was a pharmacy packaging, pharmacy okay. bottle. So, but people, when they see the bottle, they think it's more like a cool brand, like a young branding, cool lifestyle brand. But I mean, and, and yes, there was the purpose to, you know, create a lifestyle and healthy mm -hmm. product for for a young target group and especially female um but uh it was it wasn't really working in organic stores mm. even though the yeah kombucha and our quality is like really really high but people see it and they don't really believe it's uh, like an organic product they think it's like a cool product because the branding the branding is very minimalistic and lifestyle i don't know so but there was the aha moment for me it's like ah okay they don't believe it's healthy i think it's a cool brand okay <laughs> so afterwards you started building on that right yeah yeah we changed the bottle yeah i changed see yeah, yeah. Uh, like in terms of social media 
I see you have a good number of followers on Instagram and you produce good content. And I see yourself from time to time taking part in that content. Like uh, we talked about like considering capacity, uh, considering like uh, limited capacity you have. Uh, like, are you regularly involved in the content production process? And how come this like affects you, like uh, affect you gaining new followers on social media? Yeah. Well, I wasn't for a very long time because like I said earlier, um, 70 to 80% of my capacity was only operations and yeah. managing the people with handicap and the team and everything, uh, producing the product. Um, but now that I have a contract filler and my job is to focus more on the brand um, and okay. on marketing, I'm yeah also creating some content. I actually hired an in-house content creator two weeks ago. So okay. we she will help me to produce more content because I'm not so good in putting the camera in front and talking to the people. I guess that's something you have to learn. That's why I have a lot of respect from influencer and creator because I'm like, why would people be interested in what do I eat daily? I'm like, why? <laughs> but yes, they 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 really want to know about my food and what I eat and stuff like that. So <laughs> that's a you have to get used to it. So I guess as the founder and as the you know the CEO of the company, you are sort of like the face of the brand, you know, face of the raw kombucha, and I guess that's why. People are wondering what you personally consume during a day, right? Yeah, I guess because, you know, I talk a lot about um, health and um, kombucha is a healthy product. So if mm -hmm. you follow us on Instagram, you might want to know who's who's behind. And then also if they see there's it's a woman and she built the small manufactory and, you know, doing everything by herself, I guess you didn't see that so often. So it makes sense. But still, um, now creating content by myself is, is a uh, yeah, is a process. <laughs> yeah, I see. Uh, so, how about a woman entrepreneurship part? How like how did you affect you in the first place? Like you were the solo founder, I guess. So oh no, I wasn't. I wasn't. There was somebody else in the beginning. I had a co-founder, and he was the engineer. Mm -hmm. But he stepped out of the company a year later when we finished the manufacturing, basically. So that was mm. my, my biggest challenge is, okay, am I going to continue? Because I don't know how to produce that. <laughs> I mean, I know how to produce five liter kombucha or 50 in my kitchen, but uh, now having your own manufacturing is, um, is, is, is different. But I decided to, to continue working um, and to teach myself and yeah. That's how I continued slowly, so then after, slowly. Then afterwards, like after you, after your co-founder stepped out, you found, I guess, another people and you learned the process by yourself, right? Yes. <clears throat> yes. So I see. So like, what was the challenges at that time? You know, what was, what was the most difficult part of like, you know, like stepping into a laboratory, stepping into a production manufacturing uh, unit? What was the most challenging part? Well, in the beginning, definitely the technical part, because I'm obviously yeah. not in, I mean, obviously, I'm not an engineer. So um, learning to to use all these things, that was really hard in the beginning. But um, somehow, after I learned all these things, and like in general, if I learned something, I didn't know how to do it before, it makes me really happy. I think it also in increases the 
self-confidence a little bit if you see okay i couldn't do it yesterday but today i can do it because i just teach myself i just tried it and it's working um that's really good so yeah technical technical part i would say and also um yeah money is important it's the heart mm. of the company so um, getting money from investors and negotiate and um all these things it was also the first time i was doing it i was 26 years old and i and i had no help so no network not like rich family no whatever so yeah everything the combination of everything but the brand as itself wasn't a problem so that was something that really motivated me because i saw okay really people really like this brand girls really like this brand um, I just have to learn how to produce it better by myself in the beginning. Just have to learn about all these other things. And then, yeah. I see. So can you talk a bit more about the like investment part? Mm -hmm. So yeah, in the beginning, um, yeah, it was business angels who gave us money. And then last year we finished our... Um, <clears throat> our next round i can talk about it because officially it's not signed so but mm. yeah in the beginning i took a credit from the bank and then after that we um had business angels and then last year a company a strategic company ah i see so we talk about your early days you know how did you you know struggled with everything with the production with the mm. investment and everything uh what was the biggest mistake you made in those days in the other days yeah <laughs> well there was a lot of mistakes i would say <laughs> but <laughs> yeah but you have the to biggest make one. yeah the biggest one um i would say the wrong co-founder because uh yeah i struggled a lot to learn all about it about the process you know um so but at the same time, I learned a lot about that mistake because, no, uh, yeah, well, yeah, I think that's when uh, the whole struggle started, when I had to do everything by myself, and I didn't plan it that way, you know, I didn't plan it that way to be by myself. Um, so yeah, choose wisely about your business partners, like for real. I see people are finding companies with people that just met a couple of weeks ago. I don't know, they don't really know them. Like mm, I wouldn't do that work with them on a project get to know them really because once you sign these contracts there's no way back <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i see so i guess it is it is one of the biggest challenges when you're starting a company founding right co-founder well for me for me it was you know team is very important but then the idea has to be good and also money so these three things idea money and the right team yeah Definitely. Uh, so let's talk a bit about the e-commerce tools you are using. Can you name three e-commerce tools that you cannot live without? That I cannot live without. You know, first of all, I have to say I have somebody who works for me in e-commerce. Uh, she's mm. way better than me and probably she would be the right person talking about tools and all this stuff. But I think, um, yeah, newsletters are important. So Clavio, I guess it's a... Mm good one because of the segmentation mm -hmm. um, you can do. Also SendCloud for fulfillment and um, automatization. Mm -hmm. I would say, yeah, these two things. Google Analytics, 
Yes, definitely. Live without it. Social content tools. Those kind of things, yeah. I would say, yeah. Yeah, I see. So uh, using that tools are important for any D2C business. And it will affect your business. It will affect your future in a very, you know, very impactful manner. So they are important. And we, what we are trying to do on the C Wheel is that we are trying to bring out good stories like you have, like what Kompucha has. And we are trying to sort of understand what's the, what is the perfect combination of the brand, of the e-commerce tools, of the uh, other elements that will create the best D2C brand, that will create the best combination of a successful business in any given industry. So like talking about these tools are important because like, for instance, you mentioned Klaviyo. It is a great tool for marketing. It's a great tool for advertisement. It's a great tool for like subscription, uh, like newsletter subscriptions. So like, how do you take the most out of these tools? Like how do you integrate into your business? I know you mentioned this e-commerce uh, lady who's working in your company, but like, how come you take the best out of these tools? Because it's, it's a way you can talk to your customers. Mm. through newsletter you can do a lot of research and talk to them and ask them who are you why do you buy my brand and what's your favorite um flavor and what kind of flavor should we add and what kind of products should we add so talking mm -hmm. to your customers is very important um, that's the biggest um, advantage of e-commerce is even you know, talking to your customers because you can't do in retail I can't, you know, stand there uh, from the morning to the evening and ask the people in retail, hey, do you like kombucha? I mean, I could, but it doesn't make so much sense. Um, but that's something you can do through um, newsletter or social media. I mean, community is also something you can do through social media. But the people in your, in your store, the customers, they were the ones that actually buy the product. So it's important to talk to them. And, and through Klaviyo and segmentation, you can you can do that. You should do that, getting to know your customers. And then from there, building the brand and the products with them. Yes, definitely. That's why we uh, also um, launched our do-it-yourself kombucha kit mm. last year, because people are like, when do you launch your do-it-yourself kit? Because what we learned is that most people who are getting to know kombucha, um, first time they heard about kombucha is that somebody in their network or family is producing kombucha by themselves. So yeah, um, building uh, or developing a do-it-yourself kombucha kit um, is a good way for them, maybe you know, selling a kombucha or buying our kombucha and then giving it as a present for friends or something, talking out then, appreciating the complex process behind this product also. So they love our do-it-yourself kit, yeah. And we, we did that because they asked us basically to do it. Mm. Yeah, I see. Uh, so is this a part of your future plans, like to do it yourself kit? Is this a way of going forward for the Rokombusha? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a beautiful way of explaining the product. Because I mean, yeah. there are people who are telling me, ah, but then they, they're not buying your products and your bottles. But that's not how I think. I think if they learn how to make their own kombucha, they see the struggle behind fermentation and these kind of complex products. So they appreciate it way more. And I think at some point, if they see the bottle and retail, appreciation is higher 
and they're more willing to pay a higher price for products like that. So that's the way I see it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so what are your future plans for the for Kombucha? What are your other, you know, uh, ways of growth for the brand? Well, I mean, for this year, um, we're good with the DIY kit. Mm -hmm. and um we're good with the product we have we want to become more professional in in e-commerce you know things like explaining kombucha even better on youtube um through influencer and learning all these things uh, that's something yeah we will do this year and next year who knows what will happen we'll see <laughs> <laughs> uh so jennifer we are coming to the end of our podcast episodes and i would like to ask like lastly is there anything else you would like to add you would like to share with our audience um yeah i mean one thing that i really had to learn is um to listen more to your gut mm. <laughs> perfect to talking about kombucha gut feeling you know but it's such an important thing to listen to your intuition and even also when I was really young, young, and even, you know, when there's people who are listening and there's young entrepreneur people, um, it's always good to listen to your intuition because usually you just know, you can't explain, but your gut feeling is, is very often right. But you also have to learn to look at the data, I would say. It's important, especially in e-commerce, look at the data. Look at the data, but also listen to your intuition. It's a good combination. Great, wonderful. Uh, Jennifer, thank you for being here with us today. Uh, it was a great pleasure having you listening uh, to story of Ro Kombucha. I wish you all the success. I wish you, I wish kombucha tea to be more, you know, <laughs> to be more widespread in Turkey and in different parts of the world. And thank you for being here. Yes, you're welcome. Have a nice day.